Welcome back to Dr. Dave on Call. We have an amazing show today. We are going to be talking with Dr. Richard Novak. He is the Chief of Division of Infectious Diseases over at the University of Illinois. And Dr. Novak is actually running the Phase 3 vaccine trial, the COVID-19 vaccine trial for Moderna. So we are really excited to talk to him today. If you are enjoying our podcast, encourage you to download wherever you find your podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else. Give us a, a review if you don't mind, if you're enjoying it. And if you are listening to our YouTube channel, Dr. Dave on Call, please subscribe to it. Give us a like as well. Feel free to leave us any comments as well. So we're talking about the COVID-19 vaccine today. I think that it's pertinent that we talk about vaccines in general um, to start out because, quite frankly, um, it is an important topic as we are uh, participating in Operation Warp Speed um, to create a COVID-19 vaccine. So briefly, just separating the forest from the trees, what are the purposes of vaccines? I mean, in my professional opinion, vaccines are one of the most important scientific discoveries of uh, mankind so far, um, in addition to clean sanitation, um, soap, hand washing, um, as well as antibiotics. Um, these are just pivotal discoveries to help um, increase our lifespan uh, tremendously over the many years now. So what are vaccines? I mean, we, we briefly touched upon them in, in the earlier series uh, of ours. Their goal is to produce antibodies. And our antibodies are created by our immune system, and they are proteins in a nutshell for our discussion today. They recognize bacteria or viruses, and they kill them, right? So let's talk about why we need to get vaccines. So the vaccine helps your immune system create these antibodies to a particular antigen, which is essentially a foreign invader, right? Such as a bacteria or virus, it enters the body and immune cells called lymphocytes respond by producing these antibodies and they end up killing them. That's why they're important. And we need to really discuss vaccines in general on in why we get them. We get them so that we don't die from these terrible diseases. So for example, uh, back in the day, you had hundreds of thousands of people being affected by measles, which is a virus, and they were dying. And after the vaccine came out for measles, there was a 99.98% decrease in measles. So you had a disease that was just greatly affecting the population that now is eradicated, essentially. So, and it was solely due to the measles vaccine. So let's talk about other vaccines that we get on a yearly basis, more specifically the flu vaccine. Because I want to spend just a, a couple of minutes discussing, number one, why the flu vaccine is important every year, but especially this year, 2020. So we get the flu vaccine every year. And the reason why we get it is to help our body mount an immune response so that if we do get the flu, we can actually have our immune system create, you know, have these lymphocytes respond by producing antibodies so that it could neutralize the flu. And why is that important? Well, one of the 
misconceptions is that if I get the flu vaccine, I'm completely protected from the flu. And that's not, that's not exactly the case. Um, the flu vaccine is there so that if you do get the flu, it can actually mount an immune response to, to actually kill quite a bit of the flu to where you're getting a decrease in the symptoms of the flu. So what it can do is it can protect you from really severe symptoms, whether it be, you know, influenza pneumonia or really high fever, or very bad dehydration to where you actually need to go to the emergency room and actually may be admitted to the hospital. Versus if you had the flu vaccine, you can actually ride it out at home, take care of your symptoms with supportive care, whether that be through, you know, fluid, hydration, um, needing to use some acetaminophen or ibuprofen for the body aches and the fevers so that you can actually stay at home and not, hopefully not infect any, uh, other people, but that you can actually bounce back and get back to, you know, your job, your school, et cetera. So that's the big difference of why we need to get the flu vaccine on a yearly basis. So let's look at last year's data. So, so about roughly about half of the people in the adult population and children population ended up getting the flu vaccine. Um, in 2019, the CDC reported about 65,000 deaths that were attributed to the flu. So we know each season the flu, the flu can kill quite a number of people. And we offer the vaccine for people so that they can be protected from the flu's symptoms, not protected completely from the flu. So let's talk about this particular flu season because we have COVID-19 pandemic absolutely devastating the world's population right now. And so let's look at it from a perspective of hospital capacity, right? So every flu season, we have hundreds of thousands of people who go to the hospital because they have terrible symptoms of the flu, whether it be body aches, fevers, um, cough, um, you know, absolutely uh, feeling miserable. And that's why they go to the hospital. So let's, let's talk about, you know, flu season during the COVID pan pandemic right now. So essentially the symptoms of flu are almost exactly the same as COVID-19. So as patients are going to seek medical attention during the, the, during the winter months for COVID-19, people with the flu are going to go in and seek medical attention too. But let's talk about from a hospital capacity standpoint. Number one, we're going to get more patients during this time period now because we have a COVID-19 pandemic and we have our natural flu season. But more importantly, let's talk about from a perspective like a PPE perspective. So if, for example, I see you in the hospital and you have flu-like symptoms, we use a surgical mask for droplet precautions. But if you're exhibiting the same symptoms that, that COVID-19 presents with, but we don't have a diagnosis yet, we have to presume that you have COVID-19 until proven otherwise. So we have to don a quite a bit more PPE that we're using for COVID-19 patients, whether that be um, you know, an N95 mask, a face shield, gowns, etc. So even though you may not have COVID-19 and you may have the flu, we still have to use the same amount of PPE. So from a hospital perspective, we're going to have such um, strains on just the PPE equipment, let alone the number of staff that are going to be needed to, to, to 
really man uh, have the manpower for the surge of both flu and COVID-19. So that's why we're talking about the flu vaccine this year. It's more important than ever to get a flu vaccine so that if you get the vaccine this year, and it's a difference between you getting to the hospital for your flu symptoms versus actually staying at home, um, and maybe this year presenting either as an, uh, you know, to your doctor or or even to the lab just to get your COVID-19 test to rule out that you don't have COVID-19 and you may have the flu, um, that's going to be important. So again, more than ever this year is important to get your flu vaccine. And we are uh, excited to talk to Dr. Novak today about the COVID-19 vaccine. He's a, a wonderful man who's devoted his life to infectious diseases, and we are um, excited to talk to him and to discuss the phase three trial for Moderna um, and and really uh, looking forward to what he has to discuss and the progress that he's making. So let's get started. Dr. Richard Novak is a chief of Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and he's one of the lead investigators for the phase three Moderna COVID-19 vaccine trial at UIC. And we are absolutely thrilled to have him on Dr. Dave on call today. Dr. Novak, thank you very much for joining us. Much, much appreciated. It's my pleasure to be here. You know, we always like to have our guests introduce ourselves to the viewers and listeners. So if you don't mind, just please tell us just a little bit about your background and how you came into your field of exp uh, of expertise. Sure. Well, uh, I've been in infectious diseases uh, now for 34 years. Uh, and uh I uh, went to uh, medical school at Rush Medical College, and uh, prior to that, I, as a, a young man, as an undergrad, I spent a lot of uh, time uh, traveling around Latin America and, uh, and doing world travel, and I got very interested in tropical diseases and, um, and tropical medicine, and, and during my medical school career, I was very... Uh, uh, impressed by uh, the head of infectious diseases there at the time, Dr. Stuart Levin, who was a brilliant man and, uh, and a, a great teacher, and and he influenced many uh, many people to go into infectious diseases. And so, uh, I I guess that was what uh, drove me to that calling. And then, when I was an uh, uh, an intern and resident at the University of Illinois, I also trained under a, a man named George G. Jackson, who was really one of the fathers of infectious diseases here in Chicago. And uh, he is actually uh, Stuart Levin's mentor. So uh, so I really had some of the best uh, teachers in infectious diseases. And so it was a great opportunity for me to go into that field. And um, as it turns out, uh, I was entering uh, infectious diseases at a time when HIV was just emerging in Chicago. And it really became the dominant problem that, uh, that we were dealing with. And so I, uh, it really became uh, what uh, turned into what my career was. I ended up focusing my entire career on, on HIV. I was involved in the first AZT trial uh, as a fellow. And, um, and I've been doing HIV treatment and prevention research uh, for many, many years, and uh, for the last 25 years, I've been involved in HIV prevention trials uh, through uh, various networks uh, with the NIH and mostly vaccines, but also some other prevention strategies. And 
Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm very interested in community uh, health. And uh, so we've uh, operated a network of community-based HIV clinics in Chicago for since 1991, actually. Excellent. Excellent. And our program is focusing on COVID-19 in general. And specifically, we want to discuss the COVID-19 vaccines, which is your expertise as well, more more specifically around the pace of development. And it appears we're moving at a record pace to create a COVID-19 vaccine. How are we managing to take this multi-year process into now potentially accomplishing a really pivotal scientific feat in just a matter of months? Well, um, so uh, it's uh, the uh, segue is that uh, the, my career in HIV actually with the NIH uh, is similar to many other researchers who are doing COVID-19 research. Uh, it, uh, we were, uh, those of us who have an NIH-affiliated uh, sites to do these trials were recruited because uh, the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease already had developed this uh, tremendous infrastructure to do clinical trials research. And, uh, and that was needed to rapidly ramp up to be able to do uh, COVID-19 uh, trials. And so we were all uh, basically all uh, recruited to uh, do these studies. And uh, it's basically all hands on deck. And, uh, and it's really, it really wasn't an option. <laughs> so we were pretty much... Uh, right from the beginning, uh, pulled into these studies. And that's how I got involved with the remdesivir trial at the beginning because I was pulled in by one of the networks I belonged to uh, that was getting the trial up and running. And I'm still involved in that particular group. Uh, we have a series of uh, trials that are rolling out one after the other to test different treatments. But uh, the prevention networks created uh, basically all the uh, networks that the NIH has that does vaccine research or prevention research was pulled into a new network, which they call the COVID-19 Prevention Network or COVPN. And uh, so I am by default now a member of the COVPN. And uh, and uh, basically they are, because it's uh, Operation Warp Speed, they're just throwing trials at us one after the other. And we are um, the first one is the Moderna study, which we'll talk about that we've been recruited to participate in. And um, I'm, I'm really excited to be part of that study uh, because I think it's a really promising vaccine. And uh, it's the first opportunity for us to test a vaccine against COVID-19. But uh, it is a monumental task to do a study of this magnitude. You know, they're... Uh, they intend for us to enroll 30,000 people nationwide. Uh, and um, because Chicago is such a big city, uh, we are, and we're the only site in Chicago that's been selected to this study, we have opted to enroll 1,000 patients here, which is bigger than anything I've ever done. And not only is it a very large study, but they want it to happen very quickly. So the goal is to enroll fully within eight weeks of starting. So that is an unprecedented pace. 
and because of the size, uh, I need to, I'm, I'm rapidly ramping up my staff. I've been hiring people one after the other to try and get up to speed so we can handle the, the workload. And, uh, and there's also space issues. I need to, to in, order, in order to accommodate that many participants, I need bigger space. And uh, the, uh, the operations center for the network is uh, the operations center for the HIV vaccine trials network. They took that over and they, uh, they're uh, leasing us a mobile clinic that we're gonna be using here to help uh, enroll patients, which is basically like a Winnebago wagon sized to a vehicle that uh, is made into a clinic. And uh, the Department of Defense is giving us some uh, trailer clinics. So they're like semi-trailers that are, uh, uh, so that we will have to park somewhere that are basically designed as clinics. So uh, they have their own power supply. And so we're, we're getting all kinds of additional help and um, staffing up and uh, getting ready to do the study. Excellent. So not only are you getting infrastructural support from our government too in Operation Warp Speed, you know, you mentioned the thousand patients here in Chicago. It seems like an ideal location considering how hard we were hit during the pandemic, uh, especially at, you know, at UIC where the patient population is rather diverse too. So it seems that you would probably have a, a, a good a good cohort that you would actually be able to enroll. All right. Well, you're absolutely right. You, as you know, UIC has always served the south and west sides of Chicago, which are primarily primarily African American and Latinx, and so that is our patient population. And throughout my career, uh, it's primarily African Americans and and Latinos that I've been enrolling in trials, um, and uh, so we're well positioned to have a very diverse population. I've uh, I've had quite a presence on, uh, on in the media this last month as this trial has been ramping up, and uh, that has resulted in a huge uh, outpouring of interest in the vaccine. And so I actually have a registry of about two thousand people already who are interested in receiving the vaccine or participating in the trial, I should say. And, uh, and many of those will hopefully will get included. This is only the first of at least two or three studies that we will do at UIC. Uh, and there all, oh, there's also another trial that will begin at, at other sites in Chicago in August, the, the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. So uh, there'll be a number of opportunities to participate in vaccine trials if people don't make it into the Moderna study. Outstanding. And let's talk a little bit more specifically about the trial and its framework. Could you tell us a bit about mRNA-1273, which is the, the, the vaccine that you are studying? Um, tell us a bit about the vaccine and the actual framework of the trial and how it works. Sure. So well, the vaccine product itself is fairly novel in that it, it's, it's, it's messenger RNA, essentially, of the virus, and it, it's going to code for the viral spike protein, which is the surface receptor that binds to the ACE2 receptor on cells and uh, allows for viral entry into cells. And it's often uh, when, when you're developing vaccines against viruses that you target the binding protein. That's, an, that's a normal uh, target because we wanna basically neutralize a virus and to neutralize it, you need to block its entry. So uh, 
So this vaccine is naked RNA, but it's uh, mixed into nanoparticles, lipid, microlipid nanoparticles uh, for administration. And then it, uh, that facilitates uptake by mostly by phagocytes, uh, which are antigen-presenting cells, as you may remember. And, uh, and so they, uh, the, the RNA gets coded into protein, and, the, uh, uh, and uh, it's presented on the cell surface in the context of MHC uh, receptors and, and then recognized by our immune system, primarily by T cells. And, uh, and eventually it leads to production of antibodies, which is our goal that we'll, and so in, in, in early studies and animal models, it's uh, very effective at making neutralizing antibodies to the virus. And, um, and then in, in phase one studies, it was actually shown to not only that it was safe, they did a dose ranging study in, in phase one, they looked at a variety of doses and they found that it was both safe and highly immunogenic. And what they, the way they determined that is then they do, they draw people's blood who received the vaccine and, uh, and, and test the antibodies in vitro. And they're show, they've shown in fact that the antibodies are very good at neutralizing the virus. You know, uh, you don't always get neutralizing antibodies when you make a vaccine, but that is the goal. And, so you want to have, I mean, the body can make different types of antibodies that have different functions and uh, they may make binding antibodies that don't really neutralize the virus. They may bind to a different part of the viral uh, surface protein that doesn't quite neutralize it, but may trigger uh, antibody dependent cellular cytotoxicity uh, and as a mechanism of control. So they may be of value, but they're not as, uh, I mean, what we really want are, are neutralizing antibodies uh, that will both block the virus and may also or, uh, trigger innate immune responses. But um, uh, the other concern about making a vaccine is that uh, there's a, a theoretical potential that you could make antibodies that enhance infection. Now, that's only been shown with flaviviruses like uh, dengue, that's uh, a classic example of that, uh, where uh, people who have been exposed to dengue before and have antibodies, when they get a second episode of dengue, uh, they may have a much worse outcome. Not always, but in a small, small percentage, some people will have a worse outcome because the antibodies are bind to the virus and they facilitate entry of the virus into the target cells. Uh, and that's not what we want. We want to we want to block the virus from getting in. We don't want to allow the virus to improve the virus's chance of getting in via FC receptors. So uh, that was tested in the uh, in the phase one studies for this COVID nineteen vaccine, and it, they didn't find, in fact, that there were any enhancing antibodies. So it's a theoretical concern that doesn't seem to have borne out, at least in phase one studies, and it's. There's no evidence that that occurs actually in coronaviruses, so it's purely a theoretical concern. But nonetheless, it's something you have to test for. So, Dr. Novak, you know, we're talking about an mRNA vaccine, which is different than, let's say, a DNA-based vaccine, which is also different from a traditional vaccine model. Do you, fi- do, do you believe that our ability to create a novel vaccine within a few months 
the mRNA vaccine platform has a distinct advantage over other vaccine platforms in the sense that, you know, there's the ability for the precision, ability to scale up at a rapid level and to adjust if needed. What are your thoughts on that? So uh, Moderna had actually been working on this uh, this model, this type of vaccine for a while. It's not, they didn't just come up with it. They had been working on it for other viruses. And uh, in fact, they have a flu virus with uh, the mRNA-based flu virus and uh, uh, some other, like a CMV. I think they have a CMV vaccine they're developing. Uh, so uh, it's uh, so they had the methodology already developed. And so when, when SARS-CoV-2 came along and they were able to get the sequence, they're able to quickly take that sequence and put it into their existing framework. Uh, it is novel and, and it has the advantage of, uh, as opposed to a vector vaccine, there's no pre-existing immunity to it. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that. It seems to be fairly quick, to, easy to manufacture. Any, anytime you're, you're making a vaccine, you have to worry about uh, scale up and cold chain issues. So, you know, does the vaccine have a good shelf life? Does it, can you transport it easily to parts of the world where there might not be great refrigeration or, uh, uh, and, and things of that nature all, all have to be under consideration. And so, uh, I, I don't know all the answers for this particular vaccine, but it is, it does seem to be able to be scaled up for large, large scale manufacture fairly quickly. And, and, it, and it provides a platform that can be very rapidly adapted from one virus to another. So uh, that's, uh, you know, I think it's a great opportunity here to test it. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, if the results from this phase three trial are favorable to proceed, you know, what are the next steps after this? Uh, so if this works, um, and uh, we, you know, this is a two-year study, it's a, uh, has the potential to uh, get us an answer quicker than two years. I mean, we're uh, the, the speed at which we'll have the answer is large, largely dependent on the prevalence of COVID-19 disease in the areas where we're testing the vaccine because the study endpoints are symptomatic illness. And so the more cases of COVID-19 there are in the, in the study population, the quicker we'll, we'll understand the vaccine's working or not. Because, you know, it's a double-blinded placebo-controlled trial. Half the people will get a placebo and half will get the vaccine. And in the end, we want to see fewer cases of disease in the vaccine arm than in the placebo arm. But in order for that to happen, we have to have cases. And uh, the, more, the, the faster that happens, the more quickly we'll have an answer. Are you concerned right now that we could possibly have a lower prevalence of COVID-19 while conducting the trial that could potentially affect the results? Well, I'm not too worried about it. And keep in mind, there's a multi-center, national multi-center trial. Yeah, we're doing well here in Chicago, thank God. And uh, and so we don't have a lot of work. We have one of the lowest rates currently in, this, in the country. But the country as a, at large is having a, a higher rate of new infections than it's seen up up until this point. It, they're breaking new records every day. So we're going to have plenty of cases. We might not see them in Chicago, although I have very little uh, doubt that we're not going to get a resurgence of disease. 
all you have to do is look at all the states around us and recognize that we're we're uh, we're sitting uh, in a position right now where uh, things are going great, but bad things could happen, uh, and they're likely to come late summer or fall. So we need to be ready. And if it doesn't happen, if we uh, if Chicago turns out to be a place where we don't contribute a lot of cases, I'd be fine with it. Uh, I would agree uh, that too as well. <laughs> yes. And, and in terms of when we're talking about immunity towards vaccines, you know, there's a general perception that people have an expectation that a vaccine is either, you know, potentially curable, right? That we have other vaccines in terms of polio and measles, mumps, rubella, et cetera, or could it possibly be a vaccine that has short-lived immunity, i.e. possibly like similar to like a, a flu vaccine that we get seasonally? In your opinion, what are your thoughts on the COVID-19 vaccine platform? Are we going to get a sustained immunity or is this something that's probably going to be short-lived where we're going to need it either multiple doses or are we going to need it on a, on a, a yearly basis? Uh, well, your guess is as good as mine. I'm afraid we just don't know. We know too little about this. And part of the reason I have a two-year study is to, to try and gauge the, the durability of the response. So we'll be able to see how long the antibodies last and that people maintain uh, uh, high enough titers to neutralize the virus out to two years. Um, you know, the virus is very different than a flu virus. It doesn't uh, have the same variability that uh, a flu uh, influenza virus does. And so hopefully uh, the vaccine will be more durable in terms of uh, the kind of immunity it generates. But uh, we won't have those answers until we actually do the study. We don't know if the vaccine is going to work. First, we want to see if it's effective. And then we, uh, if we determine that, then hopefully it will be durable. And, but even if we have to take it every year, if we can get rid of this pandemic, I'll do, I would do that gladly. Uh, Me as well. Dr. We're speaking with Dr. Richard Novak. He's the chief of division of infectious disease at uh, UIC. He's leading the phase three uh, Moderna COVID-19 trial. You know, as you just alluded to Dr. Novak, let's talk about this because you have so many individuals and teams working around the world so diligently toward the development of this COVID-19 vaccine. What are your thoughts on individuals who have voiced their desire to abstain from even receiving a viable COVID-19 vaccine um, that could potentially cure or lessen the severity of symptoms? Well, you know, there, you know, I don't know what to tell people about that. There, there's a lot of uh, uh, misinformation and uh, disinformation about vaccines in general. Uh, and so it doesn't surprise me too much because I know it. I hear from my patients all the time. There are a tremendous number of myths. Two of the most common myths about vaccines that I try and dispel and every time I talk about it is first the, uh, the idea that you could get the disease from the vaccine. That's simply not possible. Uh, this vaccine only has one small component of the virus, the surface protein. It can't make a whole virus. It's not living. And so there's no way it could cause the disease. Uh, does that mean that you won't get some sort of reaction to the vaccine? Well, you might. There, uh, part of uh, getting a vaccine is that some people might develop an inflammatory response 
because your immune system is reacting to a foreign substance, an antigen. And, uh, and so it's not unusual, although it's not, I, I shouldn't say it's common, it's only a small percentage of people who get vaccines will get a reaction, such as feeling achy or having a fever that lasts for 12 or 24 hours. Uh, it can happen uh, even with an inactivated vaccine like this one or a component vaccine. But, uh, and then the other big myth is that we, you know, we scientists or investigators give people a disease to try and see if the vaccine works. No, we don't do that. Uh, uh, there are some experiments where people might have done that in the, in, in the history of medicine that was a, a, a thing where, where investigators gave the diseases to themselves to, uh, to see if their treatment worked. Uh, sometimes it didn't work out so well, but uh, actually there's a classic one with, uh, with H. pylori. I don't you remember that story. A man who discovered it, he swallowed a big beaker full and got, this, <laughs> got symptomatic. Proved uh, and fulfilled Koch's postulates for uh, H. pylori. But, um, but anyway, uh, uh, so those are very common myths, but there are, uh, but you know, there's a ton of stuff on the internet. Uh, the the anti-vaxxers are out there, uh, and um, many people believe that you, uh, that if you get the flu shot, you're going to get the flu. It gives you the flu. Of course, it's an inactivated vaccine, and it can't do that. What's not talked about so much is the fa- is the fact that vaccines have prevented more illness on the world than all the medications that we use to treat patients combined. You could pick it just by any one vaccine. I mean, we eradicated smallpox. It was a scourge that uh, killed hundreds of millions of people uh, before we uh, found a vaccine for it and eradicated it. Or polio. When I was a kid, polio was uh, feared like COVID-19 is today. People would not go out. Wouldn't, uh, we couldn't go out and play because of fear we would get uh, polio. And uh, there were ads on TV warning people against polio and showing pictures of, of patients in iron lung machines. Uh, and, uh, and then the, uh, the amazing sock vaccine came along, the inactivated polio vaccine. And when I was a kid, I actually got the Sabin vaccine, which was the oral uh, live attenuated polio vaccine. And, uh, and, we have virtually, we've almost eradicated polio from the planet. There's still a couple of countries left, mostly war-torn like Yemen and uh, Pakistan that have trouble getting rid of polio. And there's, I think, uh, Central Republic of Congo has had some cases. Uh, but uh, we've been very working very hard to try and re- eradicate polio, and we're very close. Measles was almost eradicated. Uh, I had... I had all those childhood diseases. I had measles, mumps, rubella, uh, chicken pox, things we all have vaccines for now. Uh, and uh, um, now because of the anti-vaxxers, measles is making a comeback. Pertussis has make, made a huge comeback. Uh, whooping cough. I, as an adult, had whooping cough. I must have caught it from one of my patients. And it's a god-awful disease. Uh, it's a cough that lasts for months, actually, and it's a, not just a mild cough. It's a really a spasmodic, unpleasant cough that uh, will kill babies if they get it. I mean, uh, it has a cause of mortality, and because 
the anti-vaxxers, uh, mostly in California, succeeded in taking the laws off the books that mandated vaccination before entering, entering school. Uh, uh, we end up having a pertussis epidemic again, right? So pertussis is now prevalent throughout the country. And uh, we're going back to those laws now and mandating uh, childhood vaccination before the school entry uh, because they, they were so effective in getting rid of those diseases too. I mean, they go away and people forget what they were. Uh, Absolutely. They and, and and not only that, the issue of herd immunity too, especially with these diseases, is, is tremendously important if people are sure. getting it. More specifically too, in the fall, you know, our hope is that we have such, you know, compliance of influenza vac- vaccination platforms too, that people are getting their flu vaccine because we know that every season the flu is, is, is terrible. And so to, to superimpose that on the COVID-19 pandemic, um, it, it could be uh, very difficult this fall, as you had mentioned. Absolutely. Dr. Novak. A, uh, a bad, uh, um, case, uh, a bad case of uh, a patient, Right at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, uh, who had both the flu and COVID-19, he was a young man actually, and he uh, he was hospitalized for two months and finally succumbed to the disease, to the complications of his disease, and and uh, undoubtedly is because he had both at the same time, because normally he shouldn't have done so poorly. Absolutely, and and this is the concern I think for not only the medical community, but also, you know, parents too, as they send their kids back to school and, and, and everybody out there too. Dr. Novak, we appreciate everything. Give us your final thoughts on, on where we are in terms of COVID-19 in general, but also how vac- this Operation Warp Speed of vaccines is going to tackle this problem. What are your thoughts, you know, in the short term and longer term as well? <clears throat> Well, um, I feel very strongly that we need this vaccine to get rid of this pandemic. It's not going to happen. Uh, it's going to linger for years if we don't have a vaccine. Uh, for us to get herd immunity in the United States to COVID-19 will take years uh, because you need about 70% of the population immune. We don't even know if natural immunity that is acquired after the infection is protective against a subsequent infection. So uh, um, it's critical that we have a vaccine. Uh, I think it's doable. I'm very optimistic that one of these vaccine products is going to work for us. There are a series of seven vaccine trials up planned in a relatively short time. Uh, by, the, by December, we'll have initiated seven different studies. And uh, well, let's hope we get a home run with the first one. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful, but uh, the need is so desperate that that's Operation Warp Speed. We're just throwing, throwing everything at this virus in the hopes of something will stick. And uh, a huge investment is being, not only are we testing the vaccine, but they're already ramping up production of these vaccines with the hope that they are work, gonna work and the vaccine will be ready as soon as we have the information. So there are billions of dollars being invested in production already. Which is, I think, of central importance too, if we're going to cut that timeline for deployment 
that we have the materials and the supply chain and, and not create that delay after receiving, you know, what is hopeful, favorable results from these trials such as yourself. Right. Dr. Novak, we really appreciate it. Uh, you're the lead investigator of the phase three uh, Moderna COVID-19 vaccine trial at UIC. We are just firstly so thankful for your uh, time here on Dr. Dave on call, but more importantly, we're so thankful for your service and um, uh, to, to not only your community, but to the greater good of, of where we're trying to t- tackle this pandemic. So we really thank you for your service and thank you for your time today. My pleasure. What a great discussion we had today regarding the COVID-19 vaccine um, with Dr. Richard Novak. We are really appreciative for his time and really gracious for his service here. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Dave on Call. We encourage you to download our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, like us and maybe write us a review. Give us some comments too as well. If you're viewing us on our YouTube channel, Dr. Dave on Call, encourage you to subscribe to it and, and give us a, a, a comment or two would be appreciative as well. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you are staying safe and healthy during this difficult COVID-19 pandemic and look forward to seeing you next time. Take care.